This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit that subscribe on whatever you're listening on right now. Also hit that like button. Um, that'll help get the, the views up. So make sure you hit both those buttons. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King. We also have Legacy Battle Zone soccer mom, Becky Voigt here. Our special guest tonight, we're joined by a women's soccer defenseman. She's an NCAA champion at the University of Portland, leading the team to a 23-0-2 record that season. She's played for LA, Boston, Seattle, and the National Women's Soccer League. She represented the United States national team from 2005 all the way to 2014, making 89 appearances internationally and, and winning an Olympic gold medal. Can't go wrong there. She currently coaches the Puget Sound Loggers, and I'm, I'm wearing my uh, cranberry just for her today. So we got Stephanie Cox here. Stephanie, thank you for joining us. Oh, good morning, guys, or good morning for me, uh, but I'm super excited to be here and talk about just the, the rich legacy of these phenomenal women uh, for U.S. soccer. Yes, yeah, it's going to be fun. This is our fourth soccer debate, and tonight we are going to be talking U.S. women defenders. We're going to try and figure out who is the GOAT, and we're going to start out tonight with, uh, let's see, we're going to go with Brian and Joy Fawcett. All right, Joy Fawcett. Uh, from 1983 to 86, Joy played for Edison High School in uh, Southern California, and they won the league championship in all four seasons there. Uh, then she was with UC Berkeley from 87 to 89. She was a first-team All-American in all three seasons. And in her first season, she set the school record with 27 goals. Uh, UC Berkeley later inducted her into the school's Hall of Fame. Uh, at the club level, Joy helped her team Ajax win the U.S. Women's Amateur Championship in 1991 and 1993. And in 2003, she was a first-team All-Star in the Women's United Soccer Association as a member of the San Diego Spirit. At the international level, she was superb and vital to Team USA success. She is the only U.S. national team member to play all minutes of the 1995, 1999, 2003 World Cups, as well as uh, the 1996 and 2000 Olympics. And uh, when she retired, she was the highest scoring defender in U.S. women's national team history. During those five uh, international runs I mentioned earlier, Joy helped the Team USA to three golds, a silver and a bronze. One of her biggest goals was on June 10, 1995, during the group stage at the World Cup. Uh, she put one past Australian goaltender uh, to give Team USA the go-ahead goal and route to victory. Um, in 2009, she was inducted into the National Soccer Hall of Fame. Uh, she also found time to coach UCLA's women's team from 1993-1997, and she is currently one of Team USA's assistant coaches. So a great defender, had the ability to put the ball on the goal, and was trusted to log tons and tons of games, uh, game minutes. That's Joy Fawcett. So, Stephanie... With Joy, as Brian mentioned, and that was a stat I'd also found, she is the highest scoring U.S. women's defender of all time. Was she more of an offensive defenseman than a defensive defenseman? And did she maybe leave her team out to dry every once in a while? <laughs> Give um, you the hard question to start out with. Hard question. No, the, uh, I would be curious to see uh, how she scored her goals. I would think that it would probably be mostly off of set pieces, off corner kicks or, or free kicks. Um, I doubt as a center back that she was dribbling through, you know, other teams to, to score her goals, but um, pretty, pretty remarkable as a defender to be that 
um, efficient in front of goal. I'm sure there were, you know, not that many opportunities, but to have uh, even collegiately 27 goals, like that's, that's pretty, pretty impressive. Um, and I know I played in 89 games for the U.S. and, and never scored once. <laughs> so I had, I had a few with this, um, but yeah, it's hard as a defender to score goals. So that's, that's a pretty remarkable stat for her. And her being named as a assistant coach to the U.S. team, I mean, that kind of shows what they thought of her when she was playing and her, her, her mind, how she can think the game, right? Yeah, I think, um, you know, that was, re so did, I think that was, must be a recent thing. I wasn't aware that she was there, but obviously, you know, playing in five uh, international world championships, two Olympics and, and three world cups and, and never coming out for a minute um, just speaks volumes about, um, you know, her consistency and the rock that she was in the center back, you know, center backs normally, you know, they probably, uh, run the least amount, you know, have the, the least amount of wear and tear in their body, that position. So um, that's not completely unusual that she wouldn't come out um, in those games. But for that length of time, you know, for those kind of however many years, six, seven years that she just was such a, um, you know, an, an anchor for them, not only for the defense, um, but just for the whole team just speaks volumes about her her leadership and her understanding of the field and the game and uh, just how to win championships. Back in my day, I think we called them sweepers. <laughs> I don't, they, don't, they don't call them that anymore. <laughs> I'm aging myself a little bit. Sweepers and stoppers. But yeah, yeah. So uh, let, let's move on to our next defenseman, and that's going to be uh, Linda Hamilton. Oh, I had the distinct pleasure of, of looking into Linda Ann Hamilton. She started her life and career gaining skills in youth club soccer in Atlanta. And due to a lack of opportunity at the time for female sports, she played on boys' teams until U14. After high school, Hamilton went on to study and play soccer for three years at NC State University before transferring to the University of North Carolina to play defender for the Tar Heels, led by the national team coach Anson Durrance. Hamilton also played under Dorrance as a member of the U.S. women's national soccer team from 87 to 95, a formative time in women's competitive soccer. 1990, while concurrently playing for the U.S. women's national team, Hamilton ended her collegiate career as a member of the Tar Heels squad and won the fifth of nine consecutive NCAA titles. Hamilton made a name for herself being known for playing with grit, passion, and enthusiasm. Her dedication to the game was rewarded by being named as a four-time All-American, four-time All-Atlantic Coast Conference selection, and was a runner-up for the National Player of the Year in each of her final three collegiate seasons. She became a backline anchor, competing in 71 games, including 12 Women's World Cup matches. She started all six matches at the first Women's World Cup in China in 1991, as the women's national team allowed only three goals in six matches and recorded four consecutive shutouts. She was a standout in her own right, which was no big feat as she was playing alongside big names such as Michelle Akers and Mia Hamm. Dorrance hailed Hamilton by saying she's a very intimidating player to play against. She plays with reckless abandon. He went further to say that she was tough as nails and one of the most aggressive players he had ever coached. Her decorated career on the field was truncated with a knee injury, which forced Hamilton to retire in her prime at the age of 26, but propelled her into coaching. 
Her career continued into coaching and she started as the director of player development for the Richmond Strikers. And that led into being the assistant coach of Hofstra University, head coach of the University of North Florida, head coach of Illinois College, and then finding residency as the head coach of Southwestern University in Texas in 2015. She continues as current head coach of the women's soccer team in Southwestern University. And in 2021, she was named Southern Collegiate Athletic Conference Coach of the Year for the third time after leading the Pirates 15-0-2. Hamilton's accomplishment and tenacity in the field were recognized at the highest level when in May 21st of this year, she was inducted into the National Soccer Hall of Fame. So we got two Hall of Famers tonight. Uh, so Becky mentioned Mia Hamm and Michelle Akers. This is when I started watching women's soccer, that time period. I've continued watching throughout. Um, if you're interested in info on Akers and Mia Hamm, you can check them out on our Brianne Heberlin show uh, in the archives. But so let's talk Joy here for a minute, or I'm sorry, Linda for a minute. Becky mentions grit, passion, and enthusiasm. When I saw her play, I went with some of the other words that Becky mentioned. I did feel she was a bit reckless at times. Um, her enthusiasm, I thought, put her out of position quite a bit. Um, but we can't deny her stats. We can't deny what she's done. What, what were your thoughts on Linda Hamilton as a, as a player? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when I when I think about how her her coach of her senior year, Anson Dorrance, and obviously of the U.S. team describes her, uh, you know, I think about kind of like a wrecking ball. Um, you know, he talks about her tenacity and how she's tough as nails, um, but maybe not as, as thoughtful of a player, um, as strategic. But I think, you know, you want someone like that on your team. You want someone who's going to run through a brick wall for you, uh, for your teammates, for your team. And, and she obviously had that determination um, probably just unfortunate. I wonder, um, I don't know how she had that uh, kind of career ending injury, but I, I wonder if it was part and due to how she played the game. And I think in today's day and age, she probably would have had the resources to, to come back from that injury and to have a, a longer career. Um, but I'm glad that she still stayed in the game and, and continued to coach collegiately. So Brian and I have done quite a few hockey shows and we've discussed with hockey players, sometimes they let their enthusiasm get the best of them, and it, and it costs their team. They go to the penalty box, or they get in a fight. They get kicked out. W what are your thoughts about a, a player of her magnitude, and not necessarily her, but any player of her magnitude that goes out there, they play really hard, they're one of the best players on your team, but sometimes it leads to things that hurt your team, such as in soccer, we'll say a penalty kick. Uh, or some something along those lines, or you know they have to be substituted out. You know how does that affect the the, the psyche of a team? Are they getting just they're fired up because the, the player makes that play, or is it like oh we just lost our best player? Yeah, I think that um, there's moments where where it can you know lift up the team morale, but then there's other moments where it's just really disappointing and, and can really um, handicap a team. Um, I think, uh, and this was, I don't know that this was necessarily a fair call, but uh, when we were playing Brazil in the World Cup in 2011, Rachel Bueller Van Halbeck got a red card late in that game, uh, actually like in the 60th minute. So then we had to play 
um, and overtime down a player. Um, and the team was able to, to still come away with a win from that game. Um, so playing down a player is really, is really difficult at, at any sport, you know, so in hockey or in soccer. Um, and I think at the highest levels, obviously wanting players to be passionate and enthusiastic, but also to have self-control, you know, to understand the magnitude of the situation and to not let their, their passion get away from you. Um, but I've, I don't think, you know, I've rarely played with players, especially on the U.S. team, right? Like they need to, to be able to manage themselves and their emotions and, and do what's best for the team. Let's move on to our final player tonight, and that's going to be uh, Becky Sauerbrunn, and I'm representing Becky. So still going strong at 37 years old, just signed a contract for 2023, so she is still going to be out there playing. Um, so University of Virginia Cavaliers from 03 to 07, she got 90 appearances with them and two goals. She was named the ACC Player of the Year, all-tournament team, all-first uh, team. So the interesting thing about her, though, is she also started as a pro in 2005 while she was still in college. Um, and she played for various leagues and cities throughout her career, obviously, Boston, D.C. United, Portland. Um, you know, she scored 12 goals in those 245 appearances. But, I mean, let's go to the U.S. national team. Not only was she on the adult team, which I'll get to in a minute, but she was under 16 team, under 19 team, under 23 team. She has 208 total appearances for the U.S. That includes being in three World Cups with two titles, three Olympic Games. She's got a gold and a bronze. Um, she's got four She Believe Cups, including one in 2022, two Nordic Cups. She's been the U.S. national women's team captain. She has done it everything that you could possibly imagine internationally for Team USA. And she may not be done. She, she could still get named to stuff. I mean, she was playing uh, internationally in 2022 at 37 years old. So we don't know how long she can keep going uh, with that. And we see in the WNBA, Sue Bird's still out there in her 40s. So Tom Brady in the NFL in his 40s, anything is possible. She is a physical specimen. If you watch her play, she's definitely in shape. Bleacher Report in 2015 called her Team USA's most important player at the World Cup. And she has um, been the National Women's Soccer League Defender of the Year four times. And seven times she was in the best 11 players, uh, named to the best 11 players awards. So just a fantastic player. Stephanie, I, I know that uh, you played with her a little bit, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, so you played with her and against her, which uh, is pretty good. So what are your thoughts on Becky? and? How long do you think she can go? Yeah, you know, Becky and I grew up playing together. We were on the youth national teams together. Um, she's a year older than me. Uh, we were in college at the same time. Um, she was, when you mentioned that she started professionally, she was in 2005 with the, the women's team, um, which when you're in college, you're not getting paid at that point. You have to obviously right. graduate and finish out your eligibility, but she broke in early with the, uh, with the women's team at that point. So, um, pretty, pretty remarkable career, um, and didn't have an easy path of it. She wasn't starting, I think till 2015. Right. So 10 years after her first kind of time in with them, was she actually starting? So I think that that just really speaks to kind of her resiliency, her perseverance, um, and just her ability as a player um, for her qualities to really shine over time. 
Um, so the thing that really stands out about her is just how well she reads the game, obviously how strong, um, you know, of a defender she is, but she's just so smart. She's so smart. She just reads the game and is always in, in the, the right spot. She's not, you know, we, she plays against obviously players now who are 10, 15 years younger than her, who are faster, um, quicker, and yet she just can make it difficult on them. She can intercept the ball. She can tackle, you know, her timing 1v1 and obviously just her leadership. And I think that you can see that with the awards that she's won in the best 11, how much everyone really respects her and respects just her her acumen for the game. So pretty, pretty incredible career. And I think, um, you know, as I was saying at center back, um, even with Joy Fawcett kind of playing all of those minutes, um, if you if you kind of play play it the right way, like Becky has done, I think that they have a, a really longer career um, than than other positions and other players. Um, goalkeepers tend to have like a, a later starting point in their career as well, like um, just getting more experience under their belt. So late 20s and, and they can last a lot longer, too. Um, and so, yeah, I think Becky could have a couple more years under her belt. Um, I think she's in camp right now with the women's team over in Spain and Europe right now. Um, and I think it's really hard to replace a leader like her, you know, someone who's been there, who knows what it takes to, to win and to lead. And, you know, there's a lot of these younger players. Tierna Davidson was in there, but she got injured. Um, Alana Cook's doing really well. Um, Germa. But, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to replace that leadership that Becky brings. Sometimes the game could be more mental than physical. We see that in all sports. So well, our shout outs tonight, players that just missed the list. We got uh, Whitney Enger, Debbie Radmacher, Thory Bryan, Amanda Cromwell, Abby Dahlkemper, all just uh, phenomenal players. But I, I kind of felt they were just a tad under the ones we're talking tonight. So let's move into our vote. Cannot vote for your own. Brian, go ahead. Well, I, I mean, when, when I look at Hamilton, it's like, kind of a big what if, you know, if she doesn't get injured, who knows, you know, cause she could have had this, you know, like nice long, you know, productive career. Cause she was really, really killing it there for a long time. But, um, but I, I got to go with Becky cause Becky's, you know, she's got the complete package, the complete career and she's still going and still writing her story. So got to go with her. Becky. Um, yeah, I mean, props to Hamilton being at a formative time in women's soccer, but um, I, I probably wouldn't have vote for her, but I would be voting for Becky, not just for namesake there, but uh, just the longevity of her career, her dedication and focus to continue to play on that level um, and character that was spoken about. So she would be my vote. So I'm kind of along the lines with what Brian said as, as far as Linda Hamilton. She is a what if. Um, we had a whole show about what if, and, and I think she fits right into that category. Um, I don't want to take away what she did, but um, I, I'm going with that what if factor as well. I can't vote for Becky, and as her career isn't done, so she can continue to do better. So I am taking Joy, and I feel Joy, I kind of like those older players a lot of times. She fits into the what I said about Michelle Akers when we talked about her, you know, kind of a little bit earlier. and and kind of help rise women's soccer to what it is today here in the United States, which in my opinion is bigger than men's soccer here in the United States. So, um, and we don't see that in other sports. So Stephanie, we come to you. You can, you can make it a tie. You can vote for any of them. What are your thoughts? 
Um, I think, you know, this, it's a tough one. You guys chose some, some great players. Uh, it was fun to learn more about Linda. Um, definitely was a, a trailblazer in her own right. Um, in that where, you know, the resources were always there and she definitely made an, a huge impact in the game that's felt today. And I'm glad that she was recognized in the hall of fame this year. Um, Joy Fawcett, um, I know that she was a role model of mine. She was number 14 and I was proud to wear that number as well. Um, I know that, you know, obviously amazing on the field, but then also as a mom playing uh, with the U.S. team and having, I think, 241 caps is, is pretty, pretty incredible um, stat. But I will have to go with, uh, you know, my teammate and friend, Becky Sauerbrunn. Um, I think that she's still continuing to play. Um, is pretty remarkable. You know, I, I'm not really surprised. Um, I think she's she's an incredible player, but I think um, also just her leadership, um, being the captain and um, kind of cementing all of these things, equal pay, um, just helping change, um, change the narrative and uh, put women's sports uh, just in general um, in a better place. I'm just really proud of, of all that she represents. So that's a win for me tonight and, and Becky Sauerbrunn. Let's move into our Q&A for Stephanie about her career. Becky, you can start us out. Well, I actually, I had some uh, questions here. First of all, I'm just thrilled to talk to you and beat you. And um, you've had incredible careers and continue to on that legacy in coaching. So, um, but I'm actually changing my question that I have prepared. And, um, and, and I just wanted to ask, you know, we, we talked about all these great women and how they sort of each generation has built upon the previous in, in women's sports. And I just wondered if, if that, if along the path, you recognize that in yourself as one of these people that has been really building up women's sports to where it is today, that you are one of those people that has been one of those building blocks for all women and women's sports and and if so at what point in your career have you realized that or or is that um and I'm not sure I think I might have read that you're a parent now and, and how did that play into your view of of possibly raising your own children yeah yeah are you a fellow soccer mom as well I, I am I have three daughters so um two of them are playing club youth soccer so um there was an eruption of delight and excitement when I told them that you would be on a Zoom call today. Oh, fine. How, how old are they? Um, 12, 10, and then I have a six-year-old. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it, it humbles me to, to hear that, like you said, um, just part of those building blocks and to recognize that in myself. Um, as I think back uh, on my career, um, I definitely was very grateful for the 99ers for, you know, I came right in after Joy and Julie Foudy and Mia Hamm and Brandy had retired. Um, so um, was able to, to step in for, for almost 10 years after that into the U.S. team. And then after, um, uh, I, but I think the thing that I'm most proud of um, is kind of the second half of my career as a mom as well. So I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old daughter. And uh, in 2012, 
um, when I was cut from the London Olympic team, um, I, my husband and I, we decided to, you know, kind of start our family and I got pregnant with my daughter and then was able to come back on the U.S. team for a year and play, um, in the NWSL. So I think, um, you know, yeah, like, like Joy, Joy obviously had done that, but that's not very common in our league. I think, um, you know, out of however many players, what is there, 12 teams now, probably like 10 to 15 moms in the league. Um, so last year when I was playing in the league um, and even uh, the year before that, when we were going through COVID, um, we had a bubble tournament and the NWSL was trying to figure out how to accommodate moms. And so that was really um, important for me to, to figure out how to, to be a voice for us as moms um, that, okay, I'm sorry, I can't have my daughter tested every couple days. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, can we get some different accommodations once a week? Um, can I do the testing? Does a nurse have to do, you know, different things, um, even caregivers, right? Like just saying that one caregiver could have to be there for the whole month. That just isn't really easy to make. So all of these different things. And, and I think, um, showing my daughters, um, and letting them be involved, seeing other strong women, um, to be a part of a team was, was really special, a part of the season of life that we were in. But I think also for my teammates to see um, someone else, you know, being a mom, you know, you think that you just have to choose your career, um, but that you can still be a mom and, and be a pro athlete, I think is, is really powerful. Brian, go ahead. But uh, you announced your retirement from pro soccer after the 2015 season, but then you decided to make a comeback four years later. So I was wondering what, what went into that decision and are you truly done for good now? <laughs> good question. Uh, this office at UPS would say I'm truly done. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was, I announced my retirement in 2015 uh, when I came back after having my older daughter, Kaylee, my goal, I really, I really wanted to be on the world cup team in 2015. Um, but that didn't happen. Um, and, you know, I was happy to play professionally, but I just felt like, uh, you know, not reaching that goal took a little bit of wind out of my sails and, um, you know, had had two great seasons with the rain uh, where we won the shield in 14 and 15, but lost in both of those championship games. Um, so and wanted to, you know, to grow our family. And I don't think I could have thought about trying to come back from an, another child. Um, that was really hard for me to imagine um, the commitment that I had at, at that point. And so then a couple of years later, I was coaching uh, with the rain. I was an assistant for Vlotco um, in 2019. The team had moved from Seattle um, and was about 15, 20 minutes from my house at that time down in Tacoma. And we were searching for players halfway through the season. It was the year of the World Cup and we were low on numbers. We had obviously some U.S. players, but then a bunch of international players who were gone uh, with their with their full teams. And so you know, us as coaches, we're like, okay, who can we call? Who do we know? And so after leaving those meetings and sometimes, you know, when we were low on numbers, I would jump out during practice or help. I would be part of the scout team. And, and, uh, I just remember driving home and talking to my husband, like, oh yeah, today I got to practice. <laughs> like I was in the practice and he was like, 
well, why don't you just go give it a try? And honestly, like it had been, like you said, three years, a really long time, three and a half years since I had played. And, and I wasn't like, I remember I had my physical with the team doctor and he was like, so you, you know, you've been training, like you've been, you know, doing your fitness, your soccer training. I'm like, no, like my time at our practice as a coach, like that's my time away from my family. Like, no, I haven't. So I had, I had like two weeks to get fit. <laughs> and, uh, and so the motivation uh, was just totally different. You know, I didn't want to go play in a world cup. Um, obviously I wanted to help the team, but, um, it was a different place. You know, I, I had been coaching obviously with the rain, but then also coaching high school. And, um, I kind of was just motivated for fun. You know, it was just a real genuine, just love of the game again, just to go out and strike a ball. And maybe Becky can relate, but so often as a mom and as a coach, you just feel like you're doing things for, for other people. And so that was just really special for me to say, okay, I'm going to do this for me and because I want to. And, and, and obviously it was a really uh, powerful thing for my girls. But yeah, then we had half of the season and then the, the next year, uh, you know, I was ready, just ready to rock and roll, headed into preseason to tear it up, um, did all the off-season workouts, was just amped up. And then uh, at the very end of our first week, we got shut down because of COVID. And so my girls weren't in school and I had would have to take them to the track, set them up, you know, in a little pop-up tent underneath the bleachers and bring their backpacks and have them entertain themselves for an hour while I ran. Um, so that wasn't easy, but it was something that um, I was committed to do because I was part of a team. And, um, and uh, yeah, I had the privilege of playing for um, yeah, for that bubble tournament. And then in the fall, we had a little kind of short season, um, like a regional season where we played Portland and Utah. Um, and then last year as well. So how have you taken what you've learned in your career from your coaches and, and your playing time and, and use that in your coaching style? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I've gotten to learn from a lot of amazing coaches. Um, Laura Harvey, obviously with the rain, is just a great tactical coach and how she sees the game and is able to, to teach the game and view the game. So, so I hope that's there. Um, but I think, you know, just from my career, um, you know, even last year, um, I went into the season thinking that I would be like an integral part of the team and I only ended up playing in five games. And that was really disappointing for me. Um, but I think that having played and been in all of these different roles, you know, um, obviously in college or with youth national teams and um, starting, being on the bubble, being a captain, um, I'm able to relate to all of my players and help, you know, the processing that I had to do last season, yeah, I know helps me when I communicate to freshmen now who maybe don't have a role that they would like or other players who, you know, it's difficult and helping them realize um, to focus on the things that they can control, um, to focus on the places where they can have an impact, right? That regardless of your minutes, regardless of the role that you have on the team, that the attitude you have, um, how much you give, um, your consistency, 
how, you know, professional you are. Like last year with the rain, I didn't miss a single practice, right? I was healthy. I, you know, put my best out there every day um, and was really proud of that, right? Was that rewarded for minutes by the coaching staff? No, but that was about me and my character and what I wanted to give. Um, so I think that those kind of bigger life lessons, the bigger perspective are really important for me to, to pass on to my players now. Becky, go ahead, take one more. Oh, actually, I was so happy that Brian uh, asked that question about coming back from that hiatus, because that was one of my other questions I wanted to ask. But um, I, I guess my other question would be, have you seen from the beginning of your career till now, you know, some, have there been some major advan advancements, I guess, that you have seen in women's soccer or how has women's soccer changed from the beginning of your career to the end? Yeah, um, I was, you know, so there've been three pro leagues. The WSA was going on when I was in college. And then I was a part of the first year of the WPS right after I had graduated from college. And then now the NWSL. So I think the longevity of the NWSL in its 10th year is really, um, is really exciting. There's just a lot of stability there. And um, I think even seeing, um, you know, obviously my go-to team, the rain um, now playing in Lumen Field and setting, you know, a record for attendance in its 10th year is, is really exciting. So I just hope that, um, you know, the, the environment, um, the culture um, can shift. So obviously, as you guys saw, um, Sally Yates' um, report was really, really upsetting, really tragic to, to read, but I, I'm glad that these things are coming to light and that people are speaking out. So, um, you know, I think in the beginning of my career, it was just don't say anything because you don't want to mess it up. You know, you don't want to... Um, be the reason why a league folds or why, um, you know, investors or owners don't want to partake. You just have to just accept that environment um, because that person's the coach or that person um, has success on the field or whatever the reason is. So I think now, um, you know, the players are speaking up and, and, um, and hopefully being heard. So I, I hope that this is a, a big shift as well not just for, you know, for fans or numbers, but just for um, the culture and the environment that the players are in. Absolutely. Um, also looking forward to more women coaches in the future. So as these players end their playing careers, hopefully we can have more and more women coaching women um, in that role model uh, format. So yeah. go ahead, Brian. And stuff. Let's go back to the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, China. Um, you know, none of us have ever experienced this. You've experienced this. How would you describe what you're feeling from the time of the opening ceremonies to the time that the group stage games are kicking off? Oh, that in between time. Well, I think um, the whole tournament. Once the tournament got started, you know. So I think. Opening ceremonies was like the day before our first game. So because of the soccer, it's such a longer tournament, we have to start pretty early um, in order to have the championship 
Um, and that's, I think, even why it's such a, a smaller roster. It's not as big of a tournament as the World Cup. It just has to fit in this tighter window of just the general Olympics where the World Cup is like three weeks. I feel like sometimes Olympic or maybe it's even like a month. Um, the Olympics is like two weeks or something. Um, but just intense and super stressful. Um, obviously so proud uh, to do it, but you're just, you're there to, to represent your country and to, to win a gold medal, right? You're on the U.S. team. And, and so that's a lot of pressure. So um, that tournament, we lost to Norway. We got scored on at that time. It was the quickest goal in Olympic history. Um, and so that was not the way we wanted to start the tournament out. Um, but we were able to come back the next game and, and beat Japan and, and go on to um, beat Brazil. And in overtime, Carly scored the, the game-winning goal, um, which was pretty remarkable. And um, being in the bird's nest in front of 60,000 fans was, was pretty, pretty incredible. Um, but just the, the relief and excitement and just the celebration after after that last game uh, was the best feeling uh, to be able then, I think, to be able to enjoy the Olympics. Um, went to the men's and women's basketball final. Um, I think we went and saw the men's soccer final. Um, so just a lot of, obviously, some fun parties and um, just to go around the village and soak it all up um, was pretty, pretty special. Um, I think we played on a Thursday and then the closing ceremonies was on a Sunday. So Friday, Saturday were, were pretty fun. So we'll get you out of here with this. I, I know that the U.S. women, they've won the last two Olympic World Cups, and I think they were in the last three, if I'm remembering correctly. And the Olympics has been so-so the last, last time or whatever. Has the yeah. world caught up to the U.S. women, in, in your opinion? Yeah, I think, um, you know, gosh, 10, 15 years ago with Joy, there were, you know, top three, top five, maybe countries that really could consistently compete. Um, I know in the 99 World Cup, right, that was China, Norway was always in there. Um, yeah. But I think, uh, you know, in 2003, they lost to Germany. But I think now there's just, there's just a lot more you know, there's 10, 15, 20 solid countries that could, if you don't show up right on a given day, um, you know, soccer sports are just funny, right? Not the best team doesn't always win. And, um, you know, obviously every team knows who they're playing. They're playing the U.S. They're playing, you know, the best team. And so they're going to come and give you your best. Um, so I think that the, the gap definitely has narrowed um, there's a lot more investment in the women's game um, in other countries. Um, you can see the flair, the ability, you know, that they grow up around the game. Um, Spain, Netherlands, right, some really England, um, you know, there's just a, a lot. Um, France, Germany, you know, are always incredible programs. So, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of challenges for the U.S., and I think it just um, really elevates just women's soccer in general because it's not a blowout. Things are tense. The games are entertaining, um, you know. Uh, and so yeah, I look forward to, to more of those um, in the next World Cup. Well, we want to thank you so much, Stephanie Cox, for joining us tonight. Honored to have an Olympian here, but it's U.S. soccer. Uh, awesome. Thank you for coming on.
Thanks for having me, guys. I'll remind everybody, make sure you hit that subscribe button and hit that like button. We'll see you next time. Thank you for watching. Have a great night.